Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, Feelin' Film Ninjas, and welcome to this edition of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to take on the evil of the world one battle or one bowl of noodles at a time, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Skadoosh! No, you're not saying it right. It's skadoosh. Wait, no. I mean, it it, it has multiple pronunciations across the series. Yeah, there's not the correct way, and then there's everything else. So I'm but I mean, gonna... Poe can't say it wrong in different ways. Right, it's his. He, he 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 can't, but you can. And in this case, we're only covering next week or the week after or whenever we hit the uh, the next two. Then <laughs> we can probably justify your way of saying skadoosh. Which, by the way, <sighs> listeners, a little inside baseball is the name of my Wi-Fi network here at the house. Skadoosh. So when you see skadoosh or skadoosh two point four, you know you have entered the home of the Hicks family. Anyway. Well, this week, as I've said, and presumably for the next few, we will be talking about the world of Kung Fu Panda, a breakout hit that spawned two sequels and a TV series. So stick around and join us as we talk spoiler-filled about why we love Kung Fu Panda. I hope that worked. Maybe it did. Aaron's giving me a look like it didn't. But I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, it's it works, I guess, but I don't get it. <laughs> Well, skadoosh, then. Was there a reference that I missed? Was that a... Poe says that. I love Kung Fu! Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is... He says, oh, yeah. I watched it like six hours ago, man. A lot has happened (laughs) since then. (laughs) That'll be a great little point of discussion as we we open up this discussion and really going to asking why we picked this, because... I think uh, when did the first one come out? Two thousand eight? Is that is that when the first one? I don't remember. Yeah, a but long time ago. It, it was a long time ago comparatively uh, to where we are now, and we kind of asked ourselves why this series now. Well, I will tell you, as we were talking about uh, earlier last week, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to cover? And uh, leaning into this new format of just kind of picking stuff that we love, I have recently taken up learning martial arts and specifically taekwondo. There is no kung fu training that I know about in my area of the country that I can take. So Taekwondo is the next best thing. And it's something that I have been wanting to really get back into. I was into it for probably two years when I was in my tweens between like 12 and 13, 14, I think. And I didn't really know how much I missed it until I got a chance to check it out again. There's a dojo that's about five minutes from our house. They offer Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, even a uh, concealed carry class. <laughs> but everything, honestly, Aaron, is is really centered around self-defense. And that's the mentality of the, the grandmaster who runs the place is all of the different art styles, the kickboxing, even down to the uh, concealed carry is all about how to defend yourself. And Taekwondo is no exception. And so I've really, really been enjoying it. And as a result, I've been starting to revisit some of my favorite martial arts movies from comedies to dramas, things like that, mostly in English. I'll lean into the more subtitle things like uh, the uh, the more recent ones that have come out lately here, probably in the next few weeks to next couple of months. But 
I have been uh, enjoying The Last Dragon, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, a really a childhood favorite growing up. And um, uh, Enter the Dragon is on my list to watch this week at some point. And so that came up as a point of discussion between me and you. And uh, when I mentioned Kung Fu Panda, it was over text, but the way you reacted, it seemed to me like your eyes lit up and smoke started coming out of your ears with excitement. And so I, I didn't know this was actually a favorite of yours. I thought this was fun. We could do this. And then you're telling me like, this is one of your favorite trilogies. So like, where is this coming from? I want to say it's one of my very rare all five star trilogies. I, I'd have to go back and look, but I'm almost positive that I revisited them. I think last year with my kids and I just, I've always loved the first movie and I really fell in love with the second and the third and just the entirety of the universe of the movies. And so, yeah, when you selected or you suggested, I guess I should say, something related to your new martial arts endeavor. I thought that that made perfect sense and it would be a lot of fun. And of course, the worry I had was that a bunch of those films, the best ones are largely foreign films or not in English language as the Oscars now call it. And I wasn't in the mood to revisit something or watch something of that nature this weekend, just had a busy weekend ahead of me. And so I was looking for something a little bit simpler and yeah, when you mentioned these, these are 90-minute movies. They are comfort food to the maximum. Absolutely love them with all my heart, and I knew that they would be super easy to talk about and so much fun. And so, yeah, I thought that was perfect. It was like a great marriage of something I already loved plus something that sort of kind of fits the bill to connect to what you've been into. And frankly, I just like this way of choosing things has is fun even though we've only been doing it for a couple of weeks or months now just kind of talking to each other about like oh hey what are you into at the moment like what is it that we just want to talk about right now not there's probably there's a whole list of movies that we would love to talk about at some point but the key is you want to do it when the mood is right when everything is kind of in a in a zone and and this conversations get elevated that way and i think they're just a lot more enjoyable for us which by default then makes them yeah. a lot more enjoyable for listeners it's funny you mentioned uh your wi-fi network being skadoosh because mine did i say it even uh, skadoosh okay whatever anyway i'm not gonna i'm gonna stop <laughs> trying uh <laughs> my wi-fi network is my precious which, of course, oh. is a reference to Lord of the Rings. And how crazy is it that here we are doing yet another trilogy on this podcast, the Kung Fu Panda trilogy, and we have not done my beloved trilogy. It's well, insane how long we've waited. I, I'm not, like, blaming you or me. It's just no, funny it, that it, we're it, five it, years deep and haven't done it. So this is this is not unlike the unicorn that was Shawshank Redemption in that, you know, Shawshank, we kept putting it on the calendar, and it kept getting bumped for something else. There's something about the Lord of the Rings trilogy specifically for you that I think you fully admit you want to give the time, care, and attention to really doing it up right. And so it's absolutely going to go on the schedule, but it will not be one of those, let's just do it now, because I know that you want to really block out time and make it sort of a continuation. Honestly, folks, we're probably going to, if something strikes us next week or in a couple of weeks, we may not hit Kung Fu Panda 2 at some point. We will. But in the case of Lord of the Rings, 
I'm thinking we're probably not going to break that up. I'm thinking it's probably going to be like we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about Lord of the Rings because it's such a massive endeavor. There's so much to talk about. And for me personally, the last thing I want to do is cheapen that for you because I know it is your absolute favorite. We've already done my favorite, Sing Street. I think we've done it justice. I wouldn't mind covering it again or a multitude of times, but I know that's probably not appropriate for a podcast. In any case, I think that at some point it will go on the schedule, but it will probably be more methodical, more thought out in terms of when it goes on the schedule. But it will go on the schedule. It it will. I, I honestly, I've been. I'm a little nervous about it, to be frank. Is that <laughs> I, I really am. I'm intimidated, not because I can't talk about it or enjoy it, but because I will inevitably feel like I didn't do it justice. Right. Like even when we do break it up into six episodes, which I think is what we will do, is half of each movie at a time to try and maximize talking about everything I want to talk. I'm going to miss something. I'm going to forget something, you know, and it's like that with any of your favorites, Sing Street, La La Land, doesn't matter what the movie is. You're going to not be able to remember and touch on every little thing you love about your absolute favorite movies. And, you know, just mentally getting to that point is the key, but that's not even what we're talking about now. So I also, (laughs) I will let me amend something I said this is like a new thing when we're kind of on the fly here. I had to do this with my open wheel racing comment on Days of Thunder, and I did have people call me out on it. I knew they would because I was wrong in what I initially said. But I this is not a five-star trilogy for me. I went back and checked my reviews of them from last year, and I'm colored glasses because this is a five-star movie for me. I think that this is a perfect, amazing, incredible animated film. I do think that they slightly go down a little bit in quality as we move on, but I love them all. And I think that as a trilogy, it is highly underrated when compared to all of the Disney and Pixar stuff that's out there. Well, that's great. And and I will tell you this, full disclosure, I have not seen the third one. I've seen parts of the second one. So this will essentially be a brand new watch for me on the second and third. I'm really excited to watch them. My son loves them. And I'm looking forward to watching those with him over the next you know, days, weeks, and months, or however long it takes us to get to them. But in any case, it's going to be a lot of fun to enjoy those with him and then to enjoy those in their entirety uh, for the show. So I'm excited. Well, let's talk a little bit about the world building, because I know that when I read your review on Letterboxd, that was one of the things that really stuck out to you was how much you love the world building. And so I'll kick it over to you. What was it about the world building that really stood out to you? Was it the the nuance? Was it the complexity? I mean, what all just made your uh, your buttons get pressed with that regard to that? Well, I don't want to give away the goat here, and I'll try not to spoil anything for the second, third movie if I can help it. But okay. <laughs> the there's a couple things that I would point to, and I don't think it's gonna. If you've seen part of the second movie, it shouldn't spoil anything. One particular scene that really speaks to the world building for me is when we are meeting and learning about Tai Lung being in Chorgon prison. And they go into this it's, – it's a brief scene. I mean everything's a brief scene in a 90-minute movie. But they go into this explanation about how there's this incredibly secure prison that's in a mountainside and goes – way down underground and it's guarded by this 1000 strong army of elite rhino rhinoceroses called the anvil of heaven and it just it's 
a deeper piece of lore, as it was, that reminds me of something like a Lord of the Rings, right? Because what it does is it's a really cool explanation of this prison that's in this corner of the world that only has one inmate, <laughs> right? One inmate, Tai Lung, is there. And it makes me immediately go, wow, that's cool. It's like the Mines of Moria. You give me a little nugget about what the Mines of Moria are. Well, I want an exploration of that. I want to know the history of this prison and who built it and why was it made into the mountain and what did it used to, what kind of prisoners did it used to hold before Tai Lung and you know what do these rhinoceroses do and how did they become the the guardians of this prison it 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 gives me that desire is what i really meant to express about world building and then the other stuff is just the other big scene that i think speaks to it in a in a major way and it does this multiple times throughout with other little nods things like Ugwe talking about the other masters and the past that kind of speak to what it's going to end up where it's going to end up going into a spiritual realm later in the series a little bit but there's a great moment toward the end where she not shifu poe is talking to his dad about noodles <laughs> by the way folks i am primed for this i had ramen tonight just because of this podcast i was like i'm gonna have noodles to support Poe and Mr. Ping and talk about this movie the right way. So I am full up on noodles, ready to go. <laughs> but they're talking about his soup, right? And the secret ingredient in this moment. And the audience is waiting for Mr. Ping to say something very specific because he's like, I have something I really need to tell you. And I think we're all waiting for him to be like, I'm not your dad, right? Like that's the moment. It, the The dialogue is brilliantly written and it acted out to a point that that's the words that you think he's going to say. But he doesn't. He says, there's nothing in there, right? And it lends, it leads itself into a conversation that they have that goes on about whether or not there is a secret ingredient. And it inspires Poe to realize that, oh, yeah, there is no secret ingredient to being a dragon warrior, yada, yada. And his dad makes a great comment about to make something special, you just have to believe. It's special. But the point was that they give you a setup to touch on the fact that Poe is clearly not Mr. Ping's biological son. And what they do is then they lead into another movie that is going to really go deep and explore that concept. And so I just think it's so neat the way that they do that in this series. They touch on it there. They kind of get you ready to hear it and, and you want that answer and they don't give it to you. And then they end up doing that in another movie but it feels real seamless. It doesn't feel like a lot of the sequel setup forcing that we see in franchises these days. It just feels like a natural piece of the world that we are – like if you just watched Kung Fu Panda, you could enjoy this movie and not ever watch another one, and you'd be just fine. And you don't need an explanation because it's an animated panda and an animated crane, right, or duck or goose or whatever he is, bird. And yet – it gives you the desire to know more so that when you do get more, it's interesting and it continues to like put layers on top of it. So that's what I kind of meant about world building for this series. The brilliance really is in the writing, Aaron. And this is what drew me to this movie is there is this fantastic balance of adult comedy and kid friendly one liners 
there were times when I laughed at jokes that my son thought, what, what are you laughing at? And then there were times when we both laughed because there's a lot of physical comedy, there's one-liners, but there are these quiet moments in the movie where you have with Mr. Ping and with Poe, so you're able to get a little bit of that drama, which I really am attracted to as well. And I think what makes the movie great for me is the fact that this movie really does celebrate all that's good about martial arts films. And I won't say that I'm a connoisseur of all things martial arts. I love pretty much anything Bruce Lee is in because I think there's an art form to what he does as a martial artist. I mean, he really is an artist when it comes to the things that he does. We talk a little bit about his style of Jeet Kune Do in our Taekwondo classes when our uh, sensei is talking through patterns and things like that. And so watching him do that on screen, the same thing happens here. We don't get like a lot of crazy methodical patterns here, but we do get action. We get that Kung Fu style action that we're used to from something like Chinese Connection or Fist of Fury. And then you amplify that action by balancing it with lessons learned about life. And that's really where I think the movie shines, is that it's not just all action and fun and fart jokes and things like that. It's not just trying to be funny. It's trying to be poignant, too. And it succeeds at that. And it's those moments that you're talking about, Aaron, where you have that quiet moment with Mr. Ping and Poe. And we are expecting something to be said. And instead, it shifts to something else, which is actually one of the bigger themes of the movie. And I don't think that's unintentional. I really do think it's a way to keep us in the moment, to keep us in the understanding of what the movie is trying to tell us as an overall story about the journey of this character. But at the same time, it opens that little door. It's a small little crack in that door to say, okay, there's some more here that I think we could explore if we wanted to. But you're absolutely right. As someone who has seen this movie on its own multiple times, I enjoy it every time I see it. It's not like it gets old. There are lines that I always remember, Skadoosh being one, and I love Kung Fu being another. But it's really great to see that it feels fresh every time you watch it. The animation, by the way, is just really fantastic. It feels new. It feels updated. It doesn't feel like it's dated by any means, even for a movie that came out more than 10 years ago. I think that the the art style is very specific. I think it's very deliberate in terms of not only creating a different art style for flashbacks and the opening and closing credits, but contrasting that with the regular, what you call this, the regular movie storytelling art style. I think there is real deliberateness in there because when you go back, when you watch that opening title sequence and then you watch those flashback sequences, those feel very much with an Asian flavor to them in terms of how these things are drawn. And when you watch that and you see how we get introduced to the city and to the village and to the Furious Five and to the prison, we are literally creating this world, building this world that allows us to live sort of vicariously through Poe. Because he is that central character that is the everyman. And I think that is what makes 
him appealing is that he could be us. Like we could be from this weird family that is famous for noodles and have this fanboy mentality of loving this martial art team of people that feel like a sports team or like celebrities. I mean, that's kind of how we are. I mean, we have our celebrities. We have our people that we would love to meet. And with the Olympics happening right now, I sort of get that same kind of flavor as I'm watching these these new stars, these young Americans and young Australians coming up the ranks. And I'm like, wait, where did Michael Phelps go? Oh, yeah, he retired at 26. What? Are you kidding me? I would love to retire at 26, but then I can't swim like he did. But at the same time, we continue to have, because of these stories about these these different celebrities, we tend to have these like, wow, I'd love to meet them. Or, man, they're larger than life. And then seeing how Poe unintentionally kind of swoops in and becomes part of this world, I think that's part of the appeal of Kung Fu Panda is that it takes the it takes the supernatural or the superhero and brings it down to our level. And for us as an audience, we enjoy that. We enjoy that story of watching Poe go through all this craziness as himself and really grow as a character. I love the idea that um, who you are isn't defined from birth and that you can, quote, change your stars. I know I'm pulling that from a different movie, but I also like that where you come from isn't thrown away. It's not a mistake. And that's what this movie really, really does well, because it would be really easy for Poe to be like, all right, I guess I'm going to be the dragon warrior ultimately. But he doesn't forget about where he comes from. <laughs> the the idea of being a famous noodle cook uh, coming from this family that served this village for so long isn't diminished. And I think James Hong as Mr. Ping really, really sells that for me. I get a chance to appreciate where Poe is and where he eventually gets to. And it makes me excited, honestly, Aaron, about where the sequels are going to take him and all of these characters now that we've gotten a chance to experience all of them in this first movie. So in a lot of ways, it's a great standalone, but knowing that there's a two and a three, I think it's a fantastic setup for what we're actually going to experience later on. Uh, oh, it is. It it definitely goes in a really incredible different places and you know even if the overall storytelling is not quite as tight as it is in this perfect setup here it's great to see what they end up looking at and it just does continue on with these themes right there's going to be a continued theme of mr ping in his noodle shop and its value and there's going to be themes of poe and his destiny and how he is who he is. And I, I love what you said there about kind of him being the everyman or superhero that we can relate to, because you're right. It's even like a Batman is rich. Like everybody has something that they're able to kind of lean on. Tony Stark is smart. You know, Captain America gets a serum, but like everybody gets something when they become a superhero. Poe has nothing. Like he is literally just 
you or me, all he truly, truly has is desire. And uh, and his ability is unique. He doesn't have a desire and then train himself into a normal way of operating within the Kung Fu world. He trains himself into a way that is equivalent to his uniqueness. And it also is effective alongside the normal ways of Kung Fu. And that's what does make him just such a compelling and cool character to follow and to interact with people who are struggling to accept him and accept this difference in their world, that somebody's not doing it the way that they're used to or they expect to be having it done. And so, yeah, that is really awesome. And then, and just the idea of the no accidents. I think this movie is filled with great little philosophical nuggets of inspiration and motivation. The there are no accidents line is so simple and yet so perfect in many ways. And I think when he follows that up, Ugwe is with Poe and it's right after uh, all the Furious Five have kind of told Poe how terrible he is and that he doesn't belong. And he is starting to feel down on himself and like he has nothing to offer. And and Ugwe says, quit. It's very it's a very Yoda moment, of course. He's like, quit, don't quit. Noodles don't noodles. You're too concerned with what was and what will be. Such a great and, line. And I love that part of it because what we always remember is what comes next. The famous line, there is a saying, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That is why it's called the present, which is great. But I love that part that comes before it. You're too concerned with what was and what will be. I mean – aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, we could, it's so relatable because it doesn't matter if you're trying to become the dragon warrior or if you're just waiting for a flipping job interview result to come back to you and you're stressing out for two weeks over it, you know, but that we're always fighting that battle, I think in our lives of being too concerned with what was and what will be and not living in the present. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that there is ever a perfect that's probably the difference. Like kind of Kung Fu Panda like has a great place where it presents an idea of Zen and, you know, <laughs> maybe the final scene is a great like actual <laughs> reminder of the reality of this when Shifu is laying down <laughs> and, and he's like, I'm not dying dragon warrior. I'm finally at peace. <laughs> and, and he's like, can you stop talking? And Poe's like, yeah. And he's like, well, if you can. And then they just lay there for like, I don't know, 20 seconds maybe. And then Poe's like, are you hungry? something to eat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Shifu's just like, yeah. Cause he knows, I mean, and so it's very, very hard to not be outside of the moment. Um, but I think what the important part of that lesson is in the movie and that we take away from it is really, being cognizant of that so that you're not allowing it to be something you dwell on too much. You're always going to fight it. So don't beat yourself up when you can't stay in the present 24 seven. But if you're conscious of it, conscious of it, then you will naturally be less worried about the present and the past. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's definitely a, a popcorn theology moment with that, where we think about the words that Jesus said about, look, Yesterday is gone and tomorrow will take care of itself. Today is what matters, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but there is value in the fact that 
we cannot control what happens tomorrow. And yesterday has already happened, so it's not like we can affect what happened in the past unless we have a flux capacitor and a time machine like Doc Brown, but we know what kind of trouble that gets us into. So these words are very poignant and very much relevant, that being fully present is absolutely a must. And you're right, Aaron, we are never going to be in that place all the time. The fact is, things come up. We have a world of what-ifs that we're living in right now, and every day it's a battle for each one of us to think, oh, what about, what if this happens? What if I, you know, I just heard this, so what does that mean for me here? And I, I completely see that, but there is value in consciously not worrying about what's going to happen because you cannot control it. And I remember hearing some really great wisdom from somebody who said, worrying about something is experiencing that event at least one more time than you're actually supposed to. And they use the example of taking a test. So you're getting ready to take the ACT or you've got a big exam that you're studying for. And every you know, all night you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up on this part and mess on that part. Well, no, you might think you will. Maybe you won't. Maybe you will. But the fact that you're worrying about it allows you to experience that more than you actually need to. You take the test once or twice or however long it's supposed to take you or however many times it's supposed to take you. And what you get into is really worrying about an outcome that may or may not happen. And so there is value in that line. But the truth is, if we're not in the present, if we're not in the moment, we really do miss out on those things because we're so distracted by this peripheral stuff that we fail to think, man, what's happening right now? And that extends to, you know, being on our phones while we're hanging out with our kids or being on our phones when we're trying to watch a show or we're in a, well, hopefully we're not doing it in a the movie theater, but while we're watching a movie, the fact is our experience has changed when we are pulled in one or more different directions. I don't believe anybody can multitask because multitask implies that you're giving the exact same effort 100% to each of those things, and you're not. You might be able to put some attention to one thing, some attention to another, and honestly, I've seen this with my wife. She can be in a conversation with me and be on her phone, and she will know what I'm saying, but you know what she's missing out on? The frustration I feel when she's on her phone and I'm trying to have a conversation with her. She doesn't see that because she's not there. And I have to tell her, please put your phone down. Or when you're done writing that text or reading that Instagram post, then I'll finish my story. And it's not because I don't like her. It's because, and, and it's not because it's just rude, even though it is, but it's because she might be able to do that, but it still diminishes the conversation from my end. And conversations are a two-way street, Aaron. And so if you're not in that moment, if you're not giving a person your full attention or giving something your full attention, you really do miss out on something. And I think that plays itself out in this movie. Yeah, it's called task switching. And and I champion that all the time. And I have some friends that I we have an ongoing joke about it because anytime they say multitasking, I've beat it into them so many times that now They'll catch themselves and be like, oh, my bad, my bad. I mean, I mean, task switching. Sorry. Like, the, <laughs> because I totally agree that there is no such thing as you literally, it is literally, it is physiologically impossible 
to give 100% of your attention to two things at the same time. Some people can do it at a much higher and faster and efficient rate than others, but it is like quite literally factual that you are only get, you are giving less of something to one and more to the other. And so I think understanding that is important because we do, we kind of sell ourselves on the concept of accomplishing all these things at the same time, but naturally something gets left out. And really what it is, is I think what you're, you know, it, it can lead to the small problem, the small examples of it can lead to a false sense of kind of security about when it, there are bigger things that you're trying to do all at the same time. And then it becomes a problem. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where Poe as the everyman really embodies that because he didn't want to be a dragon warrior. Like he was fine being a fanboy, and greatness was thrust upon him in spite of the fact that he didn't necessarily ask for it. But I think that what we see throughout the movie is that Poe doesn't struggle with being in five different places at once. He struggles with needing to be in that one place. And I won't necessarily call it embracing his destiny. I would say embracing the thing that's not an accident, maybe embracing his fate or embracing what is in front of him. And to me, I think this leads into this growth mindset that I've been trying to champion with my team at work and with my son about recognizing the fact that things will happen. You will get put in situations that are uncomfortable, that you may feel like you don't have the capability right now to accomplish. But I think Poe represents that kind of growth mindset. Maybe it comes out of a sense of naivety, but it also comes out of a sense of, okay, if this is what I'm going to do or have to do or need to do, I think I need to be able to embrace it. And there's that moment, the training montage, where he eventually kind of gets over the hump. I love the fact that we don't see him change his physique, that he's still a big panda. And that at the end I'm of the movie, I'm not a fat panda. I'm the fat panda. Exactly. <laughs> he embraces who he is. I mean, and you can, I mean, you can play that out to its logical conclusion of like, really, you know, it's okay to be who you are. You can, you can champion that. But I also think it's the fact that we didn't need to see a physical transformation in Poe. What we needed to see was a guy who recognized that he didn't need to have all the answers in order to be who he was asked to be. And I'm going to leave it there at being who he is asked to be because I'm still kind of on the fence about his destiny and being who he was meant to be, even though there are no accidents, any one of the furious five would be much better candidates. And the movie kind of plays that up to us. But I think what it, what the movie is trying to do is it's saying, look, it's not that everybody here is going to be the next dragon warrior. It's that from, from my interpretation was that everybody here is a Poe that is going to at some point come up against a, a feat that is going to be pretty challenging. And how you respond is really what matters. Whether you succeed or fail, how you respond is what's being asked of you. I love that you're putting it that way because I completely agree with that. And this is a team film. Like That's important here. Yes, it's Kung Fu Panda. And yes, it's about Poe, who becomes a dragon warrior, but there is a team aspect of the way that he interacts and works with the Furious Five. He doesn't do any of these things by himself. He it just it's, he doesn't. 
And that is very important <laughs> and critical to this series and his growth and, and how we view him as a character. And then I, it actually reminded me of something that kind of is tangential and has always kind of bugged me, especially around Olympic time, because I've seen these posts on social media sites from ESPN or whatever with quotes from different athletes. But you'll hear this all the time in the sports world. You'll hear, you can do anything you want. You can do this too. You just have to believe and work at it, right? Like you just have to commit and dedicate yourself. That's factually not true, period. Uh, incorrect, false, and don't sell that to people because that's not correct. Patrick, I don't care how much I train, how much I want it, I may not have the physique. And I'm not talking about being fit. I'm talking about like natural physique. Look at swimmers. Look at Michael Phelps. Look at Ryan Lochte. Look at these guys, Ryan Murphy. They have extremely long limbs. They have extremely broad shoulders. There is a natural advantage that you gain in some of these things that I may never be able to overcome by just become by swimming a lot and wanting it, right? So your goal can't be the end result. You have to do it because you just want to do it and because you want to try, but you you can't live and die with this belief that anybody can accomplish anything because that's not the right way to think about it. And so what you said to me was very important because it's not about Poe defeating Tai Long by himself. It's about Poe playing his part and being an important member of this group. And he does. He helps bring them together and helps them recognize some things about themselves. And it all works together to then they get the result that they're looking for, right? And I love that about this. And I also love about Poe that he is able to bring that fun aspect to the group. He's able to maintain some of his joyful interaction with the different characters and happiness and he helps them realize and remember that it's not life is not all about just training like they can't just be overwhelmingly consumed with this one thing they need a balance too and he helps to show them that and so just like he at one point has to stop being the clown and put in some serious work they kind of meet in the middle in a way and all of that and all of the stuff we're talking about like all of these things work together to create the end result. And I just think that's really cool and special for this simple little 90-minute animated movie to be able to kind of encapsulate all that. Because there's plenty of movies that I watch that don't have anywhere near that much depth when it comes to how they take down a villain, essentially. Yeah, and this movie definitely plays to that end result being we beat the bad guy, which is completely understandable, completely appropriate for this. But I think what it hints at and something you're talking about, Aaron, is the fact that the outcome isn't guaranteed. Tonight's a great example. My wife and I and you as well, we were watching the, the 400 meter free with Katie Ledecky, who is considered probably the greatest female swimmer either of all time, or at least right now. I don't know. The rhetoric changes every four years. It seems like there's always a, a swimmer that's going to be the best of all time until somebody else comes along and beats her. And there was this fantastic story of her developing this rival with an Australian, and I'm going to butcher her first name, but it's Ar Arlene Arlarn Titmus, we'll call her Titmus, who 
eventually at the world championships last year beat her for the first time. And so the big story tonight was can Titmus beat Ledecky in the Olympics that she has not been able to do. And what happened? Well, much to my dismay as an American, Ledecky lost. And I was disappointed for a couple of minutes. Obviously, I'm not her family. I'm not her. And so the disappointment is probably pretty tertiary because I'm just a patriotic guy who loves his American people for two weeks out of the year and really embraces the Olympics. But something interesting came out of that, which is the fact that Katie Ledecky doesn't feel like she's a failure. And when she got up talking to the announcer afterwards about, you know, how do you feel? She goes, you know what? I put, I gave it my best. I, it's probably my personal best apart from the world record. And that's all I can do. And I think that to me is an appropriate mindset because if somebody comes out and says, I have to win gold every time, or I have to live up to this narrative that I'm the best, what happens when I'm not? What happens when I do fail? When, not if, but when. Because eventually Michael Phelps is going to get beat. Eventually Katie Dobecki is going to get beat. Eventually Michael Jordan will lose a game, or he won't be the highest scorer on the team. And we look at these celebrities and we look at these types of, of people and we're like, at some point you got to come down from the mountain. And when we look at a movie like Kung Fu Panda, the outcome is what we wanted. But you're right. It wasn't just about Poe defeating. It was about the whole team coming together, using their skills. And I, I wouldn't want this any other way. I would want Ty Lone to be defeated because that's what's supposed to happen in a movie like this. But when you're talking about a realistic narrative, Aaron, I wouldn't mind seeing maybe in a different story, in a live action, where you have a crew of people, where you have someone like a Poe, and this narrative plays out, and they don't beat the guy. What does that say about the team? Well, it says that they all came to. It says more about them as a team and how they respond. Uh, you know, Ted Lasso season one's a fantastic example. What do you expect at the end of the season? Well, we didn't get that. Yeah. And instead, we got the goldfish analogy. And I think that we see hints of that goldfish mindset in, in a movie like this if that outcome hadn't happened. Because each one of these team members embraced Poe not as a great dragon warrior, but as an essential member of the team. And as a result... The Dragon Warrior moniker wasn't diminished, but it was almost leveled with the rest of the team. In other words, I think if any of the other team members had gotten Dragon Warrior, if they had been chosen, if there weren't no, any accidents, what would that have done to the team? I think it would have diminished the team. Because now you're like, okay, so we've got Viper, or we've got Monkey, or we've got Tigress as the Dragon Warrior. What does that do for the dynamic of the team? Why are they much more special? With Poe, it's almost like a clean slate. It's like he doesn't have anything to offer. Well, that's kind of a good thing because it's not like you're having to say, well, no, I'm better at him than this. Yes, you are. You're better at him than all these things. But when we look at the rest of the team, Tigris has special skills. Monkeys has special skills. Viper does. Crane, Mantis. All five of them do things very distinctly different. And the fact that Poe doesn't do any of those things, the fact that he has a, what I consider a pretty significant talent, which is bringing people together 
at a table to break bread, that's a big deal, man. Like that's something I really, really liked is that his talent, his skill was bringing the team together over a meal because that's pretty, pretty special. I think anybody can agree that breaking bread together is where community can genuinely happen. And I think that's, that wasn't unintentional by the writers. No. And it, and it is great because it plays into exactly what his dad's destiny was, right? Like his dad loves, that's what his dad is all about is bringing people together to eat noodles. Like it's not just the noodles. It's about the community. It's about the, the whole city, the whole town coming together to enjoy this thing. And that is what has translated into Poe's personality. And that's what allows him to, like you said, bridge that gap between them, kind of bring them together as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful way that it all gets tied together. Did you, um, speaking of the, the Furious Five, did you gravitate towards any one in particular or did one stand out to you in terms of uh, capabilities or personality? No, I don't think they're given a lot of singular time here. I, I want to say they're, 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 over the course of the series, they get a little more fleshed out because you have three movies worth of individual moments from them. So I would have a little bit of a different opinion. But in this film in particular, I mean, this is really Tigris is the badass of the group and Tigris would have been the dragon warrior. And that's going to be a continued theme going forward into the series as well. There are very specific reasons. So I love Tigris. I mean, I think if I had to pick one, the others to me are awesome. They're really fun comedic relief and they have like unique little abilities because of their animal bodies types you know that they can do i mean mantis is always going to be fun because you're watching this absolute little speck on a screen like slamming things around you know like like he's like super strong or whatever so i I love the group i love them as a group but i don't really gravitate toward one in particular as an individual i I don't either but i think you're right this is where shifu i mean is my answer (laughs) and he's not in the furious (laughs) five But he's great, man. Look, he reminds me a lot of, of uh, from The Lion King, Rafiki. He is Rafiki to me. Or him and, and Uwe, I think, kind of combined. Uwe probably more so than him. And those moments, I think, when they reminded me of of The Lion King were, were moments that I, I enjoyed the most because they were moments of wisdom, but also moments of humor. You know, where Rafiki says, uh, you know, he hits uh, Simba on the head and he goes, ow, it hurts. He goes, yes, but it's in the past. He goes, but it still hurts. He goes, yep, the past can hurt sometimes. And I think you need that kind of stuff to kind of balance out this team of five. But I agree with you. I think what makes this group work on screen is the fact that the the creation of these characters were modeled after not necessarily martial arts styles, but maybe even different kinds of stances, you know, like monkey and viper mantis, you know, got the praying mantis, that kind of thing. Why not embrace the animalistic qualities of who they are and let that be their strength. And I think that's why I enjoy them being so different is because they can't be like each other. Like I don't think Tigris could be mantis and perform mantises moves like he could because she's not a mantis. You know, she's not a praying mantis. Same thing with Monkey. 
he couldn't do the thing, same things that Tigris does because he's not a tiger. And there's a moment, I believe, when Shifu is talking to the team and it's when they're training and he's calling out, you're not fast enough, Viper, you, you know, you're not slithering fast enough or you're not, you need to attack very quick, you know, very quickly. So he's calling out what, what these animals would do in nature. And I think that when you personify those things in a martial arts setting, I think it adds a real level of fun creativity and it's such a great contrast to Poe as a panda. By the way, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the voice cast in this entire movie. It's just amazing. Jack Black, I don't think I'd ever want anybody else playing Poe. I be, I'm not sure if he plays Poe in the TV series or not. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. But but I think all of these voice actors, Angelina Jolie as Tigress, Dustin Hoffman as Shifu, Jackie Chan as Monkey, Seth Rogen as Mantis, and Lucy Liu as Viper, and then David Cross as Crane. What a fantastic cast. And I mentioned earlier James Hong as Mr. Ping. I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking James Hong, he should have been Shifu, but no, he shouldn't have been because he plays a great Mr. Ping. Like, he is so fantastic. I think of the voice cast, he's probably my favorite just because I love his voice. Um, he's fantastic from the days of Big Trouble in Little China. I know he does has done several other movies, but the whole voice cast is phenomenal. And I really think that they embrace their characters in a way that brought them to life. Yeah, it's among the best voice casts in an animated movie ever across the board, in my opinion. There's not a single weak character choice for the voice cast in this entire film. It is it is incredible to a character. I mean, and I think it extends largely as well into Tai Lung with Ian McShane because Ian McShane is just the perfect villain voice and he really brings the small amount of screen time we get for Tai Lung, he elevates it and makes it stand out. And I don't know that I mean, I'm sure there's other voice actors. I, I don't want to play the game of like, what if it was this person or that person? What I know is it works perfectly with him and it's memorable with him. And it, it allows me to like really, really like the villain in this, even though the villain is more of an antagonist to the story than the plot. It's it's interesting because the plot is really centered around the training. I mean, 80% of the movie, 90, 85% of the movie, it's very minimally them actually fighting Tai Lung or you seeing Tai Lung. You just get a little bit of backstory with Shifu and how we learn about how he found Tai Lung as a cub and then brought him up. And then Tai Lung had this great kind of parallel journey to what Tigris has of wanting to be the dragon warrior and ultimately being told he wasn't going to be it and then being furious and enraged at that and just kind of gone into the dark side essentially is what he's done and just this idea of again one vil one character one person being so dangerous that they're in this prison guarded by a thousand elite rhinoceros guard by themselves that, that it is an impenetrable unable to get out of this thing i love 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 the prison breakout it's an awesome animated sequence, um, action sequence. He does it with a flipping feather. It's incredible. 
It really makes you believe that he is as dangerous as they say. And then it's backed up in his second action sequence against the Furious Five on that bridge. And when he like, they think they got him and he's down in the clouds. It's a beautiful scene. And he like starts swinging around and around and around and around and comes back up. It's just awesome. Like he is so strong and it's just a great character in my opinion, the way that he is portrayed and his journey. It's about him that um, at one point there's a couple of great nods uh, lessons that come out of it. And one of them is when I think it's, I don't know, it's after he broke out, but they're telling Ugwe about it. And he says something like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you've got, it's terrible, it's bad news. Or Shifu's like, it's terrible news. And Ugwe's like, there is just news. There is no good or bad news. And he's like, Tai Long is broken out. And he goes, that is bad news. Pause. If you believe the Dragon Warrior cannot stop him. And then he said, you know, there are no, are no accidents. And I, he says, the panda will never fulfill his destiny, nor you yours, until you let go of the illusion of control. Oh, like another amazingly poignant piece of information there that we have from this movie. And then the great line earlier about one often meets his destiny on the road he takes to avoid it. We didn't even mention that one. And that's another huge like great nugget out of this film that's like oh and what it's saying is you know you may be not wanting to do something that's challenging but when you do that thing and you achieve it it's a meaningful result for in some way form or fashion and so and i think that the the way that tai long is created in this to be that antagonist and it's understandable based on the culture that we see about the dragon warrior and how elevated of a position is like, it's no wonder that someone would be driven to that because that's what they train for. And then to be told, no, it would be very hard to understand. And so we get to see the juxtaposition of that. And we get to see Tigress sort of start to a little bit reckon with some of those same feelings that Tai Lung had. And that's going to also echo later on into the series and in the way that the stories play out in a really cool way. So yeah, I, I just think that I know I'm really transitioned here by just going voice cast with Ian McShane and Tai Lung, but I, I think Tai Lung is a great villain for an animated movie. I do too. And you mentioned his, his arc being an interesting one because I think it, definitely parallels with Tigress and how she learns from the mistakes that he made. But it also kind of is an interesting foil to, to pose because the end result is that someone's going to be the dragon warrior. And for someone like Tai Lung, he feels like it's his destiny that was denied him. And I go back to this whole growth mindset, fixed mindset. I just finished the uh, the book by Carol Dweck called Mindset that talks about the growth versus the fixed mindset. So I fully admit that this is where these thoughts are coming from. But you really do have two contrasting personalities here. You have someone like Tai Lung who says, no, I am going to be the dragon warrior at all costs. 
whether I have to forcefully take it, whether I have to kill somebody to get it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to blame everybody but myself. And then there's Poe, who doesn't want to be Dragon Warrior. He's chosen, and he chooses through that growth to say, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do because this is what I'm being asked to do. This is being asked of me, and I'm going to embrace it. And so you watch these two characters and how they not interact with each other necessarily, but how they come to the same place. One does it by force because he can't get over the fact that it's not him. And someone else who is cautious, but eventually embraces it, but not with arrogance, with confidence, because he believes because of the team that's around him, because of the training that he's had, he respects the journey. And that's where I think the differences between Poe and Tai Lung is that all this training that you mentioned, the 85% that we saw, that this movie is really kind of getting about training, 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 Tai Lung doesn't respect it. He doesn't respect the journey that he was on. He knows that I've checked the boxes. I've done everything that I need to do. I deserve this. Poe is saying, I've checked the boxes. I'm so grateful that I was able to get through this. What's next? And I think that that kind of attitude, those contrasting styles, those contrasting personalities, really do set up a great one-on-one match, not from a physical standpoint, but really from just sort of a visual standpoint of seeing this happy-go-lucky Poe who has confidence now versus Tai Lung, who has all the skills, but doesn't necessarily have the mindset of saying, look, this wasn't for, this wasn't for me. I was not chosen. Now I have to move on. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And what we got was the defeat of the quote bad guy. But as you said, Aaron, a really interesting bad guy and probably one of the more interesting ones in animated movies, because we get enough of his backstory to realize, you know what? I kind of feel bad for him. I have empathy for him because it ultimately was his decision to choose that path. But I think Shifu had some guilt in that. I think he had some play in that because he kept talking him up, talking him up, talking him up. And again, that's like a parent telling a kid, you're going to, you're great. You're perfect. This is great. You can do this. It's like what you mentioned earlier. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. You can be the best. No, you absolutely cannot be the best because you may not have the physique for it. You might want it. And you know what? You can compete and compete and compete. But if the end result that you're looking for is a gold medal in a swim meet or a Super Bowl ring or a World Series ring, and you don't have the physical talent to get you there, it doesn't matter how much of a mental drive that you have. I mean, let's look at Eddie the Eagle. (laughs) I mean, that guy got to the Olympics, and that was enough for him, and he came in dead last. And if we look at his career, it was terrible. But what he's known for is that I'm going to get there, and I'm going to not be denied my chance to compete, compete, not win. And he may have thought he could, but I don't think he was disappointed when he didn't. And to me, I think that's where Poe and Tai Lung differ. 
is that Poe was confident enough that if he defeated Tai Lung, great. But if he didn't, he would probably go back to the five and say, all right, let's regroup. What do we need to do to do this? And I, I think that that really does speak to how, as people, we've got to approach the world we live in. All right. We can't. We can't just rely on the fact that we can't rely on our natural abilities. We can't I don't believe that natural talent gets you all the way to the end of whatever career path you're trying to get to. I think that people do have talent, but I think you have to cultivate that talent to get them better. I think that people who don't have natural talent can get better. Kurt Warner is a fantastic example. You know, he got to a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, played in the uh what the uh, European Football League for a while was never going to be like a first round draft pick. Tom Brady obviously is a great example. Uh being drafted when he when he got drafted in what with the 6th round, 7th round, I can't remember. But the fact is, I think it's a combination. And what Poe illustrates is that willingness to try and to recognize that things may or may not work, but it's not going to be because he didn't give his very best. And was he worried about the outcome? Sure. I mean, we got to defeat the bad guy. But I think his approach and the way the team approached all that was something that allowed them to defeat Tai Lung. And I think seeing him and Tai Lung back and forth, it really does create a great contrast of how two people, not people, but two characters view the world and their place in it. And if it's me, I want to be a panda. I want to make noodles and maybe be the dragon warrior at some point. <laughs> I just want to eat the noodles and I don't want to have to do any of the Kung Fu. Let's absolutely do that. Yeah. Let's just be noodle people. <laughs> yeah. That's the much easier job. Especially with the secret. Skadoosh! Skadoosh! Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else, Aaron. Do you have anything? Skadoosh! Okay. Well, I, I will call that good. Skadoosh is a great way to end this episode. Skadoosh! <laughs> He'll get it one day, guys. He'll get it one day, folks. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed this episode, keep tuning in. We're going to be hitting the next two here in the next few weeks. And uh, I have no doubt that I'm going to enjoy them as much as I enjoyed this first one. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with all of its spoilerific stuff in it. Uh, if you want to talk more about that, we have a Discord group. We have a Facebook group. Come join the conversation and uh, tell us why we're right. Tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why you love this movie. Tell us why this movie was the worst, and then we can respectfully disagree. In any case, keep the talk coming. That's why we do this podcast, and we hope that you love listening and responding to what we're talking about. In the meantime, Aaron, thank you for another great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.